It might be appropriate today when you hear the music from last night and this morning. Uh, you're on the wrong side. <laughs> you are supposed to be over there. <sighs> I mean, nothing's right anymore. But it might be appropriate. Uh, I, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious here, but it might be appropriate to say happy birthday to the mother of God, would it not? Uh, I don't think it would be appropriate, by the way, to say God grant her many years uh, because she's got the many years. But it also is very appropriate today to say happy birthday, happy birthday to the mother of Dan, Deacon Gary, Tim, Deacon Tom, and Peter. Uh, because today, and I, this really won't embarrass her, today is Mary Ellen's 82nd birthday. And uh, I, I'll have some things to say about that a little later on. Now, Father Nicholas is very, very generous. And he allows me to give the homily once a month. Now, look, in a parish with this many priests, and for him to be that kind to do that, for the priest, for the senior priest to give up any Sunday, any Sunday is remarkable. But to give it up the way he does is even more remarkable. And uh, when, he initially, when he initially sent out the schedule about this, I asked if I could have September 8th. And in great kindness, because every priest wants to preach on the feast day. But he was very willing to have me take this day. Because what I want to do this day, and this will be a very different homily from me, except the very end, which will be given by our Father amongst the saints, John Chrysostom. But it will be a very different homily. Because what I want to do today is to honor the women of St. Athanasius Orthodox Church. I think it's terribly appropriate on this day. This St. Paul says, give honor to whom honor is due. And honor does need to be given. I think I know a fair amount about starting Christian ministries and starting churches. I have been a part of the starting of scores of Christian ministry on various college campuses around America. And honestly, I've been a part of the founding of many Orthodox churches. Not more than anybody else, just I, I think I understand how churches start. I am very uncomfortable with anyone who says he was the founder of such and such a parish. Some people might foolishly say that the priest John was the founder of St. Anthony Orthodox Church in San Diego. A ludicrous statement. They had, been, they had been trying to get a church started for six months. Perhaps I would accept the, the appellation of being the founding priest. I'm even a little uncomfortable with that. I know that it takes many, many people to found a church. And frankly, most churches would never be founded without women. It's just a simple fact. Now, I am not a sexist, and I am not a, 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 a women's lib type person. I am neither. I think that if you, uh, if you are consistent with Trinitarian theology, you can't be either of those. 
You can ask me about that later. No time for that today. But I do want to give honor. And particularly today, and I will keep narrowing things down, particularly today, I want to give honor to the women who are part of the founding of St. Athanasius Orthodox Church. I will only name two. But I am not suggesting by any means that these two were any more noble or did anything greater than anyone else, any of the other women. There are women sitting in here today who virtually worked full time in the founding of this parish. Some more than full time. They just worked and worked with no remuneration. They gave between the parish and St. Athanasius Academy of Orthodox Theology incredible amounts of time were given and at great sacrifice. I do not believe the parish would have made it without them, and I don't believe the academy would have made it without them. Now, I also don't believe the academy uh, or the parish would have made it without a number of men. And I believe the seven men who were originally the part of the I don't want to go back into all that, but there were seven who were essentially responsible, I think, for the, what we call the New Covenant Apostolic Order and then the Grace Catholic Church and, and then the, the, then, uh, the um, what do we call ourselves? The EOC. Uh, I, I think that was necessary. I'm not suggesting that the women were more important than the men. All were important. All were. But it is important that we recognize the role that people play. And today, when we honor the woman who said, ultimately, that probably her most profound statement was, be it unto me according to thy will, I think we need to honor the women who played a role in the parish and in this academy. Now, I want to give just four simple characteristics that I think were uh, appropriate to all of them. First of all, they were all committed to Christ. They'd all made a commitment. It wasn't just something they were sort of interested in. They just hadn't, they didn't come here because they thought Isla Vista was a cute place to live. They came because they were committed to Christ. That's why they came. The commitment didn't come after they got here. They came here because of the commitment. Secondly, they were committed to the church. There are many women who are fine Christian women, but they aren't committed to the church. I mean, the church. In any way you want to define it. I mean, uh, uh, maybe they're committed to some great universal church. But the women who came here were committed not just to Christ. They were committed to his church. And they wanted to see that church become a fulfillment and a reality in their lives. Thirdly, they had to have some faith. Not just faith in God. That, obviously, that's, that's understood. But they had to have faith that the way we were being led by God and we were being led by God, they had to believe that that was from God. They had to believe that when these Men, some of whom were scoundrels, the one preaching being the most prominent example, 
when they came back with weird things, that they accepted it by faith. None of us, that's not quite true, almost none of us believed in baptizing babies. And these guys come back and they say, we're baptizing babies and the Shannon's pool almost overflows. There had to be faith that God was leading us, that the Holy Spirit was responsible for what was going on. I believe that, and they believed it. And then, fourthly, they needed to be obedient to the will of God. And they believed the will of God, what was being arrived at by the consensus of what was happening in our midst around the United States and Canada. So I want to give an honor today to those women, particularly who were here then. Some are no longer here. Some have departed this life. Some have necessarily had to move. Some are in distant places. Some aren't even orthodox today, but they still played a role, a significant role, in the founding of the parish and of the academy. You, some of you don't understand this, and you don't need to. You can't separate St. Athanasius Academy from St. Athanasius Orthodox Church. The academy was just so utterly instrumental in the whole movement. But then I just want to narrow down to two people, just two. I want to narrow down to Mary Ellen, and I want to narrow down to Phyllis. Uh, Phyllis has been a grandmother today and doing grandmother things. I wish she were here. I should have ordered her to be here. She would have had to obey me. But I want to just tell you a little bit about the role that Mary Ellen and Phyllis played in the founding of this parish. Let me start with Mary Ellen. When Mary Ellen was 21 years old planning her wedding, her fiancé was somewhat bewildered by what she wanted to have sung at her wedding. What she wanted sung, you know, it, when we got married, Almost all weddings we went to, they sang, because you speak to me in accents, you know. Uh, but she also, she wanted a hymn song. And the hymn was, oh, Jesus, which she changed the pronouns. It was, oh, Jesus, I have promised, is the hymn. But she wanted, oh, Jesus, we have promised to serve you to the end. Uh, be thou forever near us, our master and our friend. If thou wilt be, uh, we will not fear the battle if thou wilt be our guide. Be thou forever near us, our master and our guide. Utterly committed to Christ, had been from the time she was a small girl. But we came here and it became, somehow we had to figure out how we were going to get this movement going. And, you know, Father Richard was a praising property. I had the worst job that any of you have ever had. Ever! I was a partner with Dean Bruner <laughs> in a painting business. What could be worse? Nothing. Uh, it became possible. 
Maryland has had a California teacher's credential. She hadn't taught other than here and there since she got out of college. And she applied for a job in the Galita Union School District. She's not even aware of all of this, or she doesn't remember it, but I do. There were approximately 290 applications for that job. And she got it. And she hadn't taught for years. I asked the principal one day, why did he hire her? And he said, because she identifies with children. I thought that's a pretty, good, a pretty good reason. But that's not what I'm after here. What I'm after here is for you to understand the role she played in the founding of this parish. Because what she did was allow me to, in being funny here, to not have to work with Dean anymore. By the way, we did learn how to work really well together. We really did. It took us maybe a few months, but we did learn how to work well together. But it freed me to give full time. Now, when it became necessary for Father Richard to become full time, and Father Jack and, and others, we, would, we just figured out how, what, what the total resources were, how much each family needed, and then received out of the kitty what was necessary, which meant the bronze didn't receive a lot out of the general budget of the movement because we had the resource of Mary Ellen working. Now you say, well, that's nice. The thing that's remarkable is she didn't complain because she knew that, yes, she made far I didn't get very much. She was the major wage earner in our family until she retired. She was willing to do that because that was what it appeared to be the will of God. And she was willing to have it. She didn't complain. And what you don't know, and very few know except her children, I don't remember Mary Ellen getting up in the morning for years because she was up so much longer before her early rising husband. For years, she got up at four to prepare for her job. And she and Wilma or Betty, because the children figured that Mary Ellen and Phyllis must be Wilma and Betty, but I never knew which one was which, but not only was she up 4 to 4.30 in the morning for the next 25 years, but many times on Saturday, no, almost every Saturday and many Sundays, she and Phyllis were at school preparing. And any parent, by the way, who had either Phyllis or Mary Ellen was a God-blessed parent both for the parents and for their children. There were two things especially why they should be thankful to God that they had Mary Ellen or Phyllis for a teacher. Number one, they loved the children. And number two, the thing I've never understood, they actually thought the children were people and they were patient. 
patient. Couldn't believe it. Now, had she not been willing, it would have restricted my role. And those of you familiar with Proverbs 21 will know what I mean by this statement. Because she rose early. And we tease her at home often about putting her hand to the distaff and the spindle, which comes out of Proverbs 31. What she allowed was for her husband to be in the gate. Now, if you go back and read Proverbs 31 when you get home today, what you know, what you'll know what that means is that her husband was allowed to be with the men of influence in the city. Because it was in the gate where the city business was done. Now, she doesn't want you to come, and I don't want you to come up afterwards and say, oh, Mary Ellen, thank you for all this. Did she do more than any other woman in the parish? No. I don't know. I, you don't want to rank that, do you? Who knows? And then my sister. I never call Phyllis my stepsister anymore. She's been my sister for over 50 years. I had a brother for 32, and he died. My earliest clear memory of Phyllis was in 1950 in the fall on Five Mile Prairie in Washington, near Spokane. I was a freshman at Whitworth College. She was a junior. She and her boyfriend came out to the, little, to the house where six guys were crammed in a small room because there wasn't enough room for us on the campus. And she and her boyfriend, who later became her husband, came out to play the piano and sing and have us have a fun time together in Christ. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a, it, entertainment. It was, we sang hymns, we sang choruses. And she and her boyfriend came out. Phyllis was a very good pianist, and she played, and of course she sang. And that's my first clear memory. I've actually known Phyllis longer than I've known Mary Ellen. My parents, now this is very interesting. My parents, my father, moved from Berkeley as the pastor of the Knox Presbyterian Church to Rodeo, California, which is... By the, in the, uh, in, by the bay, and uh, he became the pastor of the Ro First Presbyterian Church of Rodeo. And uh, he, they did that in the fall of 1950. So when Phyllis went to Whitworth College, my father was not her pastor, but when she came home, my dad was her pastor. Ultimately, my father, uh, her father died, and my mother died, and our parents got married. The amazing thing about Phyllis, now listen, she was a single parent in Wenatchee, Washington, a school teacher with a job. And because of her commitment to Christ and the church and faith, in obedience to the will of God, she moved her family to Isla Vista. 
with no job, believing that was what God wanted her to do. I'll say a tiny bit more about that in a moment. And she and Mary Ellen, they trampled all over the county trying to find jobs. Phyllis finally got a job in Lompoc and commuted, I don't know, a couple of years before she got a job here. Now, here's one of the strange, you know, Phyllis would not be considered an evangelist, right? She's kind of, you know, when Phyllis, when Phyllis yells, you barely hear her. <laughs> Do you know that if it were not for Phyllis, there would be no Morrisons in this parish, there would be no Gishes in this parish, and there would be no Friesens. Sort of the humorous thing is my father married Phyllis and her husband. He married Harvey and Linda. And he married Father Joseph and Jill Tenge. I mean, Father Joseph and Carolyn Tenge. Dave Braun would be a little surprised how many people are Orthodox today <laughs> because of Dave Braun. And a little quirky thing, sometimes you wonder why these little incidents in your life are so important. Why, you did, why did it happen? We did something really weird and stupid, our family. We moved to Leavenworth, Washington. We moved there in about August of 1969 and left completely by June of 70. Sort of an odd, brief moment in our lives. But we'd been, we just lost contact with Phyllis for years. And here was Phyllis about 30 miles away in Wenatchee. And here we were in Leavenworth, just over you go the, over the mountains. We were there. And because of the reestablishment of that, that's why she ended up coming here. It's, little things happen in your life that are just so remarkable. Now, to bring this to a close, I'm not trying to exalt Phyllis. I'm not trying to exalt Mary Ellen. They, they were simply faithful women who played a role, a major role, along with many others, in the establishment of this parish, giving many of them giving humongous amounts of time. Some couldn't give much time because they had too many children. That's where their time went. I'm, I'm not exalting one above the other. The point today is to honor. Now, to conclude, St. Paul, when he concludes his letter to the Romans, includes the names of 11 women as he is giving greetings. 11. Two of them were not contemporaries. One of those was Sarah, and one of those was Rebecca. Abraham's wife, and then Rebecca, daughter-in-law. Okay, but he names, by name, nine women that are in Rome, and Paul's never been to Rome. But he names these women because he somehow knew of them, and it's obvious he knew some of them very personally. Maybe he knew all of them personally, but he knew <coughs> of the role that they played. So he says something about most of them when he gives his greetings at the end. 
And Father Nicholas, you're always quoting. Listen, you like to quote St. Nikolai, isn't that right? And you like to quote. Yeah. And I like to quote John Chrysostom. I love him. And so I want to conclude this with a quote from our Father Among the Saints, John Chrysostom's commentary, as he finishes the last chapter of Romans in the greeting. And he, he selects these women that he's named. And then he says, and I'm quoting, Seeing then, setting then your thoughts upon these things that he, that is Paul, has been discussing, that is, including the ministry of the women, and reflecting upon the manly and heroic character of those women who trampled upon the gorgeousness of this day. That is John Chrysostom's day. And here's what he means, trampling upon those adornments. And he names them the adornments of dress, the costly jewelry, the mincing walk. And by that he means the little dainty steps to be sexy. That's what he's talking about. And to turn all this attentiveness unto the soul and kindle up in your mind a longing for the heavens. For should his, Christ, love take hold of you, you will discern the mire and the clay and ridicule the things now so admired. Sort of contemporary, isn't it? Sounds appropriate for our day. <coughs> for it is not even possible for a woman adorned with spiritual attainments to be seeking after such ridiculousness. Having then cast this aside, which wives of the looter sort, looter sort of men and actresses and singers have so much ambition, you'd think he was living in our day. <laughs> well, clothe yourself with the love of wisdom, with hospitality, with the assisting of the saints, with compunction, and with continual prayer, these be better than cloth of gold, these more stately than jewels and than necklaces, these both make you of good repute among men and bring great reward with God. This, <coughs> this is the dress of the church, that of the theaters, this is worthy of heaven, that of horses and mules. This shines as a good soul alone wherein Christ dwells. Let us then, let us then be the dress, that be the dress for us to acquire, that we also may have our praise sung everywhere and be well pleasing to Christ. How is this? And he's, I, I'm picking up a little later on. How is this? And he's talking about a woman named Mary who is in Rome. And how is this? Again, 
How is it that, that again she is honored and proclaimed victorious? Now to all of you. Again, are we men put to shame? Or rather, we are not put to shame only, but have even an honor conferred upon us, for an honor we have in that there are such women among us. But we are put to shame in that we men are left so far behind them. But if we come to know from where it comes that they are so adorned, we too shall speedily overtake them. In my conclusion, wherefore, to lead them all, to lead all to greater emulation, he keeps no man's words of praise concealed. What do I want to say about the women of St. Athanasius and St. Athanasius Academy? Emulate them. Emulate them. They're worthy. Emulate Mary Ellen. Emulate Phyllis. But emulate many others who perhaps did more. Emulate them. How are you going to emulate them? You are going to have a commitment to Christ that is irrevocable. You won't faint. You will hang in, no matter how dim it looks sometimes. And you'll be committed to the church. That's where your commitment will lie. Not to your church and a hundred thousand other things. The church is more important than your place of your children in school. I've watched as a pastor, I have seen so many parents think that their children's school is more important than their church. And it's devastating. Because it's not true. And gymnastics is not more important. And ballet is not more important. They're fine. They're just not more important. Faith. Faith. Not grumbling. Faith that God is leading you. And obedience to his will. Let us emulate them. Let us give them honor today. And John Chrysostom would say, uh, and to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, because this is how he ends all his homilies, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen.